Alright, welcome to the Zero Brain Podcast. The best is, uh, I've already fucked this up. <laughs> welcome to the Zero Brain Podcast, you little fucks. No, that's not gonna do either. Who gives a shit? Alright, we're reading Rule by Secrecy by Jim Mars. Today, we're gonna read the motherfucking Merovingians. Alright. So, in the fucking around, the Merovingian dynasty of Franks has been traditionally considered the first race of kings in what is now France. France was named for the Franks, and their first ruler, Francio, was said to be a descendant of Noah. Francio's race migrated from the legendary city of Troy in northwest Turkey, bringing their royal bloodline to Gaul. They named their settlement Troys after their hometown. Paris was named for the Greek hero Paris, whose elopement with Helen to Troy precipitated the Trojan War. The name Merovingian refers to Merovis, the father of Childeric I, ruler of the Salian Franks. According to genealogist Gardner, Merovius traced his lineage through his father Clodion, back through Joseph of Arimathea to Jesus. Despite the carefully listed genealogies of his time, the heritage of Merovius was strangely obscured in the monastic annals, noted Gardner. Although the rightful son of Clodion, he was nevertheless said by the historian Prissus to have been sired by an arcane sea creature, the Bistea Neptunus, a sea beast. There was evidently something very special about King Merovius and his priestly successors, for they were accorded special veneration and were widely known for their esoteric knowledge and occult skills. Authors Bajant Lay and Lincoln saw the legend of the sea creature fathering Merovius as alluding to or concealing the idea of some sort of dynastic alliance or intermarriage. Some authors have suggested that the sea beast story was a misinterpretation of the idea that Morovius was half fish, the fish being a long-standing symbol of Christ. French author Gerard de Sade raised eyebrows by declaring that the Merovingians were in fact descended from extraterrestrials who interbred with selected ancient Israelites. This allegation was echoed by author David Wood, who wrote that this royal line, as well as all humans, were descendants of an extraterrestrial super-race. Morovius' grandson, Clovis I, took control in about 482 A.D., about ten years after the fall of the Roman Empire, and eventually extended his rule to include most of Gaul. Paris was his capital, a status which the city retained when Hugh Caper became king of France in 987. According to the Priory of Sion's dossier secret, the Merovingians were of Jewish origin. They were the lost tribe of Benjamin, who migrated to Greece and then on to Germany, where they became the, Scambri- the Sicambrian Franks, reported Pricknett and Prince. Others pointed out that there was so much intermarriage in the region that the terms Goth and Jew became interchangeable. 
The dossier's secret declared that the descendants of Jesus and Mary Magdalene, living in southern France, intermarried with the Sicambrian Franks and founded the Merovingian royal lineage. Priory members claimed that the parchments discovered by the priest Saulnier at René-le-Château were genealogical lists tracing the Merovingian lineage right up to the descendants living in Europe today, to include the evasive Pierre Plantard. Some support for this idea can be found in the Jewish Principality of Septimania, created in the mid-8th century after the Jewish inhabitants of Narbonne aided King Pepin in taking the city from the Muslims. The first king of Septimania was a Frankish noble named Theodoric. The Grail romances refer to him as Amory, a Jew recognized by both Pepin and the Caliph of Baghdad as the seed of the royal house of David. Theodoric is thought by many to have also been a Merovingian. His son, Guillaume de Gaon, also rose to prominence as both a Merovingian and Jew of royal blood. Jesus was of the tribe of Judah and the royal house of David. The Magdalene is said to have carried the Grail, the Sangral, or royal blood into France, noted Bajant Lay and Lincoln. And in the 8th century, there was in the south of France a potentiate, Guillaume of the tribe of Judah, and the royal house of David, who was acknowledged as a king of the Jews. He was not only a practicing Jew, however, he was also a Merovingian. Clovis converted to Christianity after evoking the name of Jesus at the urging of his Catholic wife, Clotilde. During a crucial and ultimately successful battle in 496, this came at a time of decline for the Roman Church, then locked in a continuous battle against Arianism. Arianism, named after the Alexandrian priest Arius, taught that God created everything including Jesus and therefore Jesus was not himself God but rather a heavenly teacher, a messiah. This concept, perhaps strengthened by the Magdalene tradition in southern France, gained considerable popularity at the time. To counter Arianism, Roman Emperor Constantine had convened the Council of Nicaea in A.D. 325. When Arius rose to argue his views, he was punched in the face. <laughs> the council, under firm control of the Roman <laughs> of the Roman Church, declared they fucking punched that dude in the face. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. The Roman Church declared that God was a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Arius and his followers were banished. There were only two official objects of worship, commented Gardner. The Holy Trinity of God and the Emperor himself, the newly designated Savior of the world. Anyone who disputed this in any way was at once declared a heretic. Christians who attempted to retain loyalty to Jesus as the Messianic Christ were discounted by the Imperial Church as heathens. You see what they did there? They discredited an entire branch of Christianity because it countered the then-sitting emperor's power base. Because you had different fraction, you had different factions of Christianity growing at the time. This this proves it right there: Arianism, and then obviously Christianity that was basically born with you know fuckstick here, uh, Constantine. 
who was a born pagan, by the way. The fucker converted to Christianity because of some bullshit he saw in the sky during a battle. Which you can take that shit and you can fucking shove it right up your ass. It's all garbage. He did it because it was a political motivator. Naturally. And then, obviously, what, what you do is you consolidate your power by getting rid of your rivals. Hence the Arianists. Those motherfuckers got their shit kicked out of their fucking church. Everywhere, they're done. Anyway, moving on. Despite edicts from Rome, Arianism remained strong in Western Europe. If the early Merovingians prior to Clovis were all receptive to Christianity, it would have been the Arian Christianity of their immediate neighbors, the Visigoths and Burgundians, commented Bajant Lay and Lincoln. When Clovis was baptized into Catholicism, nearly half of his troops followed his example. A great wave of conversions followed, and the Roman Church was effectively saved from almost inevitable collapse, noted Gardner. In fact, were it not for the baptism of King Clovis, the ultimate Christian religion of Western Europe might well now be Arian rather than Catholic. The Roman authorities in turn proclaimed Clovis the new Constantine and pledged allegiance to both him and his descendants. A pledge they soon repudiated. Upon the death of Clovis in 511, his realm was shared by his four sons, Theodoric, Chodomir, Childebert, and Lothar. The emblems of the Merovingian kings were the fish, still a symbol of Jesus, the lion of Judah, further indication of their Hebraic heritage, and the fleur-de-lis, which became the symbol of French royalty. Despite strife between the brothers, Merovingian rule grew to include Septimania along the Mediterranean coast between Provence and Spain, to Saxony in the north and eastward to Bavaria. By 561, the realm had been divided between Clovis's grandsons, Cherubert, Guntram, Sigobert, and Chilperic I. These brothers... I probably butchered the fuck out of those names. Uh, sorry, French people. I'm fucking your language up, and I... I'm sorry, but I can barely speak English, so fucking... <laughs> anyway, these brothers also intrigued against each other, causing weakness within the kingdom, which was quickly exploited by their neighbors. By 613, Clotar II, son of Chilperic I, had regained some unity within the kingdom. His son, Dagobert, was abducted at the age of five and taken to a monastery near Dublin, Ireland, where he was educated and later married the Celtic princess Matilda. After his surprise return to France, Dagobert proved even more effective in consolidating the Merovingian sovereignty. But in 679, while hunting, he was murdered by a retainer of Pepin the Fat, <laughs> one of his own officials with close ties to the Roman church. That's why if you're a king, you never go hunting, asshole. Hey, everybody, here's a bunch of weapons. Let's go into the woods and shoot shit. You're a fucking dead man. Anyway, moving on. According to Gardner, papal authorities deliberately, deliberately obscured the history of the Merovingians to secure their own power and prominence. Oh, that's a fucking surprise. The inevitable result was the accounts of Dagobert's life were suppressed to the point of his non-existence in the Chronicles, he wrote. Not for another thousand years were the true facts of his existence to be made public once more. And only then did it become apparent that Dagobert had a son called Sigobert, who was rescued from the Merrill Clutches in 679. Following his father's murder, he was removed to his mother's home at René-le-Chateau in Languedoc, 
In time, the deposed Merovingian line from Sigobert included the famous crusader Godfrey de Bouillon, defender of the Holy Sepulchre. Here again can be found the connections between the Priory of Sion, the Knights Templar, and elder traditions involving Jesus' bloodline. Although, as pointed out by Bajant Lay and Lincoln, while the Merovingian royal blood was credited with a sacred, miraculous, and divine nature, it was not explicitly stated anywhere that this blood was in fact Jesus. Yet the connection was there as evidenced by the linkage of the Jewish Franks to the Merovingian, Dagobert and Guillaume de Gaillon, through a Hugh de Plantard to Eustache first Count of Boulogne and grandfather of the crusader Godfrey de Bouillon, and from Godfrey there issued a dynasty and a royal tradition that by virtue of being founded on the rock of Sion was equal to those presiding over France, England, and Germany, they added. By dint of dynastic alliances and intermarriages, this line came to include Godfrey de Bouillon and various other noble and royal families past and present, Blanchefort, Geysor, St. Clair, Sinclair in England, Plantard, and Habsburg-Lorraine. Following the death of Dagobert, there was again division in the land. The surviving Merovingians were forced to yield power to court officials known as the mayors of the palace, known to be under the control of the Catholic Church. In 750, the last Merovingian king, Chalderic III, was deposed by one of these mayors, Pepin III the Short, who established the Carolingian dynasty so named for his father, Carolus, or Charles Martel. The Merovingian monarchy had been strictly dynastic, explained Gardner, but that tradition was destined to be overturned when Rome grasped the opportunity to create kings by papal authority. The church's long-awaited ideal had come to fruition, and from that time onwards, kings were endorsed and crowned only by self-styled Roman prerogative, with an emphasis on the original. The Merovingian kings did not rule the land, nor were they politically active, wrote Gardner. They were avid students of proper kingly practice in the ancient tradition, and their model was King Solomon, the son of David. Their disciplines were largely based on Old Testament scripture, but the Roman church nevertheless proclaimed them irreligious. Heresies aside, it is clear why the early church was fearful of the Merovingians. If indeed their heritage connected to the royal house of David, and specifically to Jesus, they represented a distinct threat to the theology being formulated by the church at the time, and later by European dynasties. The Thule Society's early mission was to put a member of Jesus' family, a Merovingian, on the throne of Europe, wrote author Henry. When Hitler came along, he dismantled this operation. According to several modern writers, the picture that is becoming clear in light of recent research and literature is this. Mary Magdalene, as the wife of Jesus, arrived in the south of France following the crucifixion along with Jesus' children. They preserved their bloodline while living in the large Jewish community of the region and in the 5th century intermarried with Frankish royalty to create the Merovingian dynasty. The Roman Church pledged allegiance to this dynasty and in full knowledge of its messianic lineage. But Church authorities, fearful and jealous of this dynasty born of the, both the priestly and political bloodlines, fomented the assassination of Dagobert and the usurpation of Childeric III to gain complete control 
over what was to become the nation of France. And throughout this intrigue wound the threads of the Plantards, the Bouillons, the Knights Templar, and the Priory of Sion. By the 12th century, these families, knowing full well their heritage, mounted the expedition to Jerusalem, if not the entire First Crusade, to recover family genealogies from beneath Solomon's temple, they also created the secret Priory of Sion and the Knights Templar as a front organization to achieve this purpose. At this point, restoration of the Merovingian monarchy may have been a primary goal. As discussed, the Templars apparently were successful in their attempt to gain the temple treasure, whether it was merely historical records or something more substantive, such as the Ark of the Covenant or even the mummified body of Jesus. Whatever it may have been, whatever it may have been, was transported back to the area of Rennes-le-Chateau and so strengthened the beliefs of the Cathars that they were quite willing to die for them. The Templars, being less willing to sacrifice themselves, simply melded their beliefs into other secret societies. Over the years, there were repeated attempts to take the throne of France for royalty of Merovingian lineage, but only one in the 18th century came close to success. According to Bajant Lane Lincoln, by virtue of its intermarriage with the Habsburgs, the House of Lorraine, a descended family from the Merovingians, had actually acquired the throne of Austria, the Holy Roman Empire, which finally ceased to exist in 1806, when Marie Antoinette, daughter of Francois de Lorraine, became Queen of France, the throne of France, too, was only a generation or so away. Had not the French Revolution intervened, the House of Habsburg-Lorraine might well, by the early 1800s, have been on its way to establishing a dominion over all Europe. The Habsburg dynasty was believed to be an integral part of the Priory of Sion, and even related to the Rothschilds through Holy Roman Emperor Frederick Barbarossa's second son Albrecht, or Archibald II. The family origins go back to a Swiss estate named Habsburg, Hawk Castle, Habsburg, built in 1020 by the Bishop of Strasbourg. Through, in, through strategic marriages, the Habsburgs grew to be the most powerful of European royal houses. Emperor Maximilian, whose French troops were poised in Mexico during the war between the states, was a Habsburg, as was Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. Now, there may have been another attempt to recreate the Holy Roman Empire in the late 19th century. According to author uh, French author Jean-Luc Chaumet, several of the characters involved in the René Le Chateau mystery, including the priest Saunier, were members of an ultra-secret group of Scottish Rite Freemasons who, just as the Illuminati before them, sought to create a European Union based on theosophy and Gnosticism. Called the Heron de Val d'Or, the society's objectives were much the same as the CFR, or Trilateral Commission, to create a global, God-ordained system wherein nations would be no more provinces, their leaders, but proconsuls in the service of a world occult government consisting of an elite. To most researchers, this sounds like an early-day New World Order. As Bajant Lane Lincoln saw it, 
During the 19th century, the Priory de Sion, working through Freemasonry, and the Heron de Vaux d'Or, attempted to establish a revived and updated Holy Roman Empire, a kind of theocratic United States of Europe, ruled simultaneously by the Habsburgs and by a radically reformed church. Apparently, this effort was frustrated by the events early in the 20th century. Now, the Habsburgs' power gradually was restricted to the Austrian Empire, which collapsed following the assassination of Habsburg Archduke Franz Ferdinand and the end of World War I. Today, the Habsburgs appear to be making a comeback with Karl Habsburg Lothringen representing Austria in the European Parliament. His sisters, politically active in both Spain and Sweden, and Georgi von Habsburg, an influential executive with the largest film producer and distributor in Central Europe. Evidence that Priory members may still have direct connections to Freemasons seeking political change was developed when Bajent, Ley, and Lincoln studied privately published tracts dealing with the Priory in the French National Library. One of these was supposedly written by Madeleine Blancasal, a phony name concocted from the Priory's interest in the Magdalene and two Languedoc rivers. Of particular interest was this work according to its title page, which was published by the Grand Alpine Lodge of Switzerland, a Masonic lodge com comparable to Britain's Grand Lodge or France's Grand Orient Lodge and connected to the P2 Lodge scandal. Although Alpine Lodge officials denied any knowledge of the tract, at least two other works bore the Alpine print, and French journalist Mathieu Paulio claimed to have seen these publications in the Alpine Lodge library. Shortly after, Paulio published a book in France exposing the Priory's interest in the Merovingian bloodline. He accepted an assignment to Israel. He was executed as a spy. That's that's all we got for the Merovingians today, kiddos. All right, bunch of intrigue, bunch of political bullshit, bunch of assholes working shit in the fucking in the shadows, trying to manipulate shit to their own advantage. You know, let's just say for a fucking just for argument's sake, let's just say that Jesus is real, and there's a heaven and then there's a hell. What kind of a hell? Are you going to go to if you're the guy who killed Jesus' bloodline just so you could jockey for power? Because, like, you know, they say, like, all the sins, like, the ten sins, like, Jesus doesn't see him any different. Like, if you steal, it's the same as, like, murdering, right? But come on. Come on. You murdered dude's family members, and then you stole his fucking throne. You don't think there's, like, some extra shit? Like, you're going to, a like, an exclusive part of hell, right? It's like the after-party version of hell, where you just go there and just, you get to kick it with Satan himself. He's like, oh, you guys, I heard about you guys. <laughs> I'm, great. I'm a big fan of your work. That's why you're here? I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Look, this is the Zero Brain Podcast. This is Dave Grave, and I'm going to get off the fucking air before I lose it fucking entirely. All right, you guys have been great. Next week, we're going to be listening to fucking... Uh, you know what? I don't know what the fuck we're going to be talking about next week, but I still have some more chapters from Rule by Secrecy that we're going to cover. And I think we're going to delve into some ancient secrets and mysteries and some of this shit that ties us back up to uh, ancient Egypt 
and then I, you know then I'll, then I'll think I'll, what I'll do is I'll bring it back to the modern day and I'll tie all that ancient shit to some of these cocksuckers that we say that we see in power uh, up to today um, and that being said uh, you guys have a fucking great day I'm fucking out of here have a good one. Oh, don't forget to follow me on Instagram Zero Brain Podcast on IG uh, and then if you go to the website you can go to my Buzzsprout website and where you can listen to every single episode uh, whether that's a good thing or not it'll be there's a link on the Instagram profile page so you guys swing by there subscribe like follow I don't know what the fuck you're doing there you just do some shit and then while you're doing that shit you fucking hit the link and then it'll take you fucking not even to Spotify fuck Spotify it'll take you straight to my shit buzzsprout.com my website and every single fucking episode I have is on there dude for good for bad whatever the fuck so you can listen to all that shit there tough guy alright like I said, day brave. I'm out like disco. I'll see you fuckheads later.